I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I see David Heath is recording the call. Hello, everyone. How are you doing, babies? I hope you're all doing well. I hope everyone's having a good commute, enjoying their uh, cleaning their kitchen, um, sitting in their office, sitting in their, 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 their classroom, whatever you're doing, I hope you're having a great day. Uh, I am D.B. Spitzer, of course. To my virtual right, I have David Heath and G-Chan Gretchen. H- how are you doing all today? I am well. <laughs> I am as well. <laughs> no, I'm doing good. <laughs> All right. Okay, so today we are talking about... Uh, uh, oh, no, my notes. They just blew away. What are we talking about? Oh, no, we are doomed. We are <laughs> as doomed as Sarnath. And it might um, be Hellraiser-ish. <laughs> <laughs> Hellraiser. Off in the distance, someone plays Hellraiser by Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Bad Puns. Oh, yeah. Aren't they all? And something in the middle that we haven't figured out yet. So <laughs> yeah. how how is everyone doing this week? What's what's going on with uh what's going on with you? Yeah, just busy, busy, starting second round of Baby Goat soon. Yeah. Oh, cool. About two nice. weeks. 
Yeah, I got a house full of sick people still, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm finally over my cold. I'm sure you guys can hear, like, I actually have my normal voice back as opposed to that smoky version of me that I, I kind of slightly miss. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, feeling better and um, looking forward to going to see Voltaire tomorrow. Or, um, yeah, tomorrow night. I'm so excited. Super nice, super nice. Have you ever seen Aurelia Voltaire? He is, a, like, he's really fun to watch. No, to no, best not of lying. my knowledge, he died in the 17th or 18th. Aurelio century. Voltaire, Aurelio Voltaire. <laughs> yes, or is this a different Voltaire? Aurelio. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So he um he's done a lot of different like I would almost describe him as like a gothic folk folk singer because oh. he has that kind of bardish like behavior, but he's also super goth dad. He has like a silly YouTube show called um gothic homemaking or something like that and i swear you could play like a drinking game to every time he says the word gothic clark ashton smith would have loved that oh it's hilarious it's hilarious <laughs> and he, he's, he just recently released this album this is the album he's touring is that it's the um called enter the black labyrinth he did a project mm-hmm. working with all of david bowie's bands oh wow. and basically um it did some songs that are inspired by Labyrinth, and that would be like a continuation of the story, as well as like a few covers of the originals, like um, from the underground and whatnot, and dance magic. A card piece just found a magic card piece. <laughs> I kind of remember the words a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to say David Bowie's card piece and Labyrinth is is something of legend. It's at the museum in Mopop. I've seen it. <laughs> That's tremendous. That's tremendous. It's, I mean, that in um, uh, uh, Jennifer Connelly's dress is outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But yeah, yeah. that's my week. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I know. Um, this, this, this week, uh, we got some Hellraiser going on. We got some Sarnath going on, and let's 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 get it going. So before we get too far into sure. the doom of Sarnath, another doom just came out. I saw that. I thought of you, David, when I saw that. Yeah. So so I haven't seen, but the the doom that came to Gotham is out. But what I just came in the mail or Amazon yesterday is my reprint of the original um, uh, graphic novel. Oh. So when I collected the, I I never read the first part. I could only find part two and part three. And it makes a lot more sense when you read the first (laughs) part. But what really surprised me, and I think we could tie in, it's, I mean, it's Mike Mignola. It's obviously who loves Lovecraft. There is no mention of Lovecraft in any of the hype on the book. No. You know, it just, I mean, obviously a story, you know, uh, know, they go to uh, the South Pole, uh, Herbert West makes an appearance, um, you know, Abdul Al-Hazarad is in it, but in any of the background stuff, I mean, when you read the back of the book, it doesn't refer to Lovecraft, which just sort of surprised me. Well, I kind of feel like they presuppose that you know that Lovecraft's going to be there. And then you said, 
Abdul Al Hazrad, and I'm like, yeah, of course, he's he's uh, head of the League of Assassins. And again, I realized I mixed up two characters that I always mix up, which Magno- Magnolia does too. Sure. <laughs> which two characters? Abdul Al Hazrad and the demon's head. Um, Raj al Ghul. Raj Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Which I always thought was inspired, but I've never seen it. Yeah. Isn't he this, aren't they synonymous, I thought, but I'm with you. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 pretty awesome, Dave. That's pretty awesome. Did you, um, so have you read it? You you said you haven't seen the um, the movie one yet? I haven't seen the movie one. I do have, like, the original first print comics when they came out backed and wrapped in plastic like Laura oh, Palmer. Right on. Yeah. I haven't read that particular story, but I when I saw that it was coming to, um, online, I was like, oh, I bet David's seen that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as near as I can tell from the commercial, there's some major differences, which I'm cool with. That's cool. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I kind of felt like the story should have gone in different ways. And I'm like, well, that's cool that Megiola's making references to, like, um, this story and that story, and there's this and there's that, but oh, I feel Magnola like Oh, did Magnola draw this one? Yeah. Oh, wow. I may have to look at that one myself. Like, I'm sure my brother, my brother's, like, a big comic book collector. Like, Okay, cool, cool. If, a... if you can't find it, I'll track it down. Uh, I've got a few long boxes around here. Yeah. And it's it's all Lovecraftian horror mostly. That's really cool. It's yeah. it's pretty much the only stuff I ever collected in comics was yeah. like Lovecraftian horror, but in like X Men or DC comics or whatever. And I didn't realize I was making a weird Lovecraftian comic collection until my thirties. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a bunch of those like uh those random like Cthulhu tales and whatnot and yeah. um weirdly enough Hellraiser comics I actually have. Oh, That's cool. pretty cool. Speaking of Hellraiser, <laughs> uh you posted on social media today a photo of you and Doug Bradley. Where was that at? Oh, that was at the 2014, and I didn't post it on social media, just in a private chat, because that was a long time ago photo. Oh, okay. But, um, okay. yeah, so 2014 HP Lovecraft Film Festival, I got to meet Doug Bradley. Actually, the funniest story about it is, and I'm sure my friend Arthur would die if he heard me telling the story, but um, I was really embarrassed to go up and talk to Doug Bradley, and uh-huh. my friend Arthur had a little too much to drink and kind of embarrassed me, and so I was like, I don't want to meet him now, I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> But then I end up sitting with his girlfriend and she and I were chatting about her jewelry because she collects like um, she's this fantastic artist that uh, does these really intricate, like, like morbid, like bleeding nun sculpture-esque painting. Mm. They're like multimedia type stuff. But uh, I don't know if they're still together, but back in the day. And yeah. uh, she had this like skull jewelry from this artist called Martha Rotten. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so rad. And she was like, yeah, this is um, this is from Martha Rotten. And we were just chit-chatting. And then she goes, um, after this thing, um, I'm going to go hang out with my boyfriend. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. And here's her boyfriend, Doug Bradley. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And I was all, oh, so hi. Hello. And I go, I know this is probably really dorky, but can I get a place? He's like, absolutely, love. And I'm like, Yay. 
we have to say that there really is a city of Sarnath. Yes. Yes, there is. It, in India, it's in right? India. It's in India. And as near as I can tell, it's the first place that the Buddha taught after the incident or the enlightenment under the bow tree. Yep. But Lovecraft cool. claims he had never heard of it. Lies. That's... You know, I don't I don't know how much transcendental thought that Lovecraft had. Yeah. So Yeah, I know, but like he would have at least had to have come across it for the name itself, don't you think? Like maybe it was maybe it was written in an article in a magazine and he saw the word Sarnath and he was like, well, okay. You know, he was I still think... green bean, right, when he wrote this book. Or this yeah, story. so he was he was he was only twenty oh what? Twenty five? It, yeah. it was in in nineteen twenty. Yeah. So thirty. 20, yeah, something like that. But, so, I, I don't, my thought was, I mean, what a stupid thing to lie about. That either, it just, there's only so many ways the mouth can move. And that there's so many, you know, in different languages. Or that maybe he read it and just subconsciously stuck. That's what I, I think. I, I, I assume that he ripped it off from, uh, like, um... What's his face, Lord uh, Dunsany, who cribbed it from something that he actually knew, but was like just trying to like come up with fanciful things or something, or or he heard it somewhere and just like regurgitated it. You know, it's not unknown for Lovecraft to like regurgitate something that he read somewhere. Just kind mm-hmm. of like I'm looking for a name, uh, the doom that came to. Sarnath, um, like uh, it's 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 uh, not Robert E. Howard, uh, not Clark Ashton Smith, um, um, Locke, King in Yellow, uh, Chambers, Chambers. Chambers. Uh, so yeah, no, Chambers wrote about Car, you know, Carcosa, Carcosa. Oh no, 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 no. like multiple people wrote about Carcosa, which is a real place in Italy. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that there's a very good chance that he had heard it and mm-hmm. just not realized it. Maybe he's or, not like lying, lying, but like, I yeah. do think that, like you said, I think he had to have seen it somewhere. Like, yeah, I yeah. think that there was a lot of exploration at the time. And then that every time, like a, a country would come into like, um, interest, like people were very interested in India and then people were very interested in like, the Far East, or like like sure, China, sure. and yeah. you know, yeah, and, and and the Raj period would have probably been in a lot of literature and and papers that he would have read written yeah. at, read at the time. Yeah, definitely. But a yeah, funny no. story: the Dumbas Hand of Sarnath is actually when we when you guys interviewed me for this show, um, this is the one I said that I would like to have seen animated. And yeah. oddly enough, I was on YouTube just looking around to see if there was somebody like audio version of it to re- just to kind of refresh myself on it. And there is a visual novel one that mm. is using um, it uses like an AI um, mm. thing to it. Hang on. I looked oh. it up twice. I think it's called like the story um, story novel or something like that. Mm. And it's incredible. They use um, AI and not, I'm not a fan of AI art. But what they do is they're using AI to like make motion in the imagery as the narrator tells the story. Yeah, all right. Oh wow! I, I'll, called I'll the Open Story up. Dreamer. 
that's I kind of love that stuff. That stuff. Yeah, it's cool. really beautiful. Yeah. And like as a as a narrator telling the story of like how Sarnath looks and the 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 display on the screen starts like multi shifting and stuff like that. Oh, it's so cool. And that's kind of what I was visualizing when you guys were when well when you um interviewed me, David, on this is like okay. um was that I wanted to see a a texturally visual because I feel like the story itself is so textural sounding like especially the way they describe like the the gray the monoliths and the yeah. the gray sculptures and the like submerged seaweed and the oh yeah and the the it's all kinds of it just seems like it would have been perfect for a that kind of format oh yeah definitely i'll have to check that one out yeah i i think personally that this is probably my favorite of the dream uh land's tales yeah, um, it is one that I personally enjoy. Um, I I love Cats of Ulthar. I love anything with ghouls in the Vale of Pranath. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but 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 the doom that came to Sarnath is one that I, I I feel like really kind of spells out some things for the Dreamlands, even if it's supposed to be based in. The prime material plane, or whatever you want to call us, um, we're not the six one six. I don't know, but um, but yeah, no, no, no. It's 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 like Dreamland stories are always kind of fun and dreamy. Of yeah, I, I you know, but I always love the fact that there's this empty altar with the words written on it. Do. <laughs> I also think it's kind of cool because it feels like it's like a, a precursor to what he was going to come upon with Cthulhu and all that. Yeah. Because it has those imagery of like the sunken, especially when they do like the arena fighting where they fill the whole place with water and like yeah. the guys have to fight or like monsters in the water. Yeah. Yeah. And if I did not know the source and I did not know the source as well as I do, my first time I read it, I was a lot younger, and I thought that this was anti-colonialism, oh. which, which of course, Lovecraft was not. And I mean, <laughs> that's part of, you know, when you take things in. But as a reader, neutral, not knowing, you know, the background of Lovecraft, yeah, I saw this as an anti-colonial story. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that they went in and the natives basically came back and took their lands back. Yeah. In some form, even though they were spiritual at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. But then I found out Lovecraft goes, no, that's not what he was intending. <laughs> I love how we try to give him so much dimension and then we realize, oh, actually. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things about this is the uh, race of water lizards that had bulging uh, bulging eyes, uh, pouting flabby lips, curious ears. It's 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 like he's describing the Innsmouth look. That's exactly yeah. what I thought too. I was like, oh well, that isn't that what the Innsmouth people look like a little bit? Yeah, and it's like, did the um. People did did the uh, oh what are they called? They're they're called the uh, ib ib yeah 
I have the them, likeness uh, of the Thuma. Yeah, yeah, the beings of Thumha. Oh, okay. There we go. That's that's the uh, name I was looking for. Thank you so much, Gretchen. I just had but, to re. I'm like rereading the story. <laughs> yeah. The beings of Thumha, as as like being the uh, lizard people that like lived lived there before, that that uh, worshipped uh, Bakrog. Uh, bug. Uh, we're on first name basis. I, I I refer to it as Bug. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> But I, I, I feel like those 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 were the uh, people that uh, later somehow crossed over from our world to their world or they inhabited what we know is the the waking world and then later moved to the dreamlands. But state uh, they're 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 the uh, I really feel like they're they're the uh, Innsmouth people. They're the deep ones they're the uh before humans and deep ones started to crossbreed through whatever means personal theory and, and maybe definitely dagon and the doom that came to sarnath were written within 12 months of each other oh, oh sure really? one was published in 1919 the other was published in 1920 yeah so that picture that Lovecraft and mine may have carried across the stories. Oh yeah, yeah I can no, see that. but yeah no no. Um, according to the tale, more than a thousand years ago, a race of shepherd people colonized the banks of the river Ai, uh, in a land called Minar, forming the cities of Thra, Emric, and Kadatharion. Not to be confused with Kadath which rose to great intellect and mercantile prowess. Craving more land, a group of these hardy people migrated to the shores of the lonely and vast lake of the heart of Minar, founding the city of Sarnath. Yeah. Yes. Ancient, ancient gray stone city of Ib. And uh, yeah. So, uh, according to some stuff, um, the Thumha may have come from the moon. They sure did like the moon stuff. People back then sure did like, they were like, the moon, it's got all these monsters on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so, and, and we, we see that, too, in um, Dream Quest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So... According to the doom that came from Sarnath, what we know is the Deep Ones may have originally uh, came from the Dreamland's moon. There's a weird thing to think about. <laughs> but also, um, I, I, the, the reason I read this story is I was looking for science fiction stories about doom, the video game. Um on a fledgling internet at a community mm -hmm. college that I was taking um, AP classes at in in high school. I think I came across it because of Neil Gaiman's introduction to the um, that particular book. Um, yeah, like the the Dreamlands books. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I think I remember be only I was tracking because I really loved Neil Gaiman and was a big fan of like the the Sandman comics and his work. Okay. And so. 
following that trend led me, I think, on some kind of library quest where I found the Dreamlands. And that's kind of my, like, that's when I started getting into Lovecraft. Very cool. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I found it in just one of the Tor trade back paperbacks. That just I'd gotten a Lovecraft, and it was in one of the the trade paperbacks that I read. And it just I I don't think I had heard of the story before I actually read it in that that collection. Yeah, I I clearly remember reading it for the first time on a computer screen at Clark College in Vancouver, Washington, being like, this is amazing. <laughs> And, and again, I'm, I'm sure this is all coincidence, but, you know, the fact that Sarnath is a city in India, mm-hmm. but it's also, I think, a story of karma. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the people got what they deserved, yes. even though it took a thousand years. Yeah. Sure. Definitely. And it was never resettled. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it, it'd be very interesting because I know he didn't do all of it, but Sandy Peterson did a lot of Doom, my understanding. And I yes. wonder how much of this he did take from the from Lovecraft. That's uh, any there, there's there's always yeah. a weird amount of Lovecraft involved with Sandy Peterson and storytelling and game design and like. There was like zombie creatures in it. There was like weird combinations of like hell creatures mm-hmm. and technology. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. But it's, it's like I feel like Sandy Peterson has always been like doom is a cool thing. Just like before dying, he scrawled a single word onto the empty altar. Doom. I'm gonna put and, that on and, my tombstone. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, and and like that's that's a quote from the doom that came to Sarnath. And I'm sure that's something that like stuck in Sandy Peterson's head. Like the word doom. Because I remember meeting him, I think, at a Lovecraft Film Festival one time. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, no, Sandy's cool. Um, so is Doug Bradley, but we'll talk about that later. So, so one last before we finish up, sort of useless, semi-related trivia. Yes. Mm-hmm. This, of course, is through Lovecraft's Dunzany phase. Yes, of course. And I just found out Dunzany was really good because, I mean, he was rich, he could do whatever he wanted, was really good at chess. So he invented something called Dunzany chess, where one side has just like the regular chessboard, but the other side is just pawns, like four times as pawns. Uh-huh. And your your the pawns are trying to basically overpower and swamp and, and take out the the regular side. Nice. And that's almost kind of the doom that came to Sarnath. Very uh, you, cool. Yeah, the, the return of the people of Ib, and they're kind of like pawns. Uh, I doubt that Lovecraft bought that, but, you know, again, reading stuff in. Very cool. Very cool. One last trivia thing, yes. too, I thought of. There's a Necronama Idol song called Sarnath. Mm-hmm. Of course there I is. 
I think that, that pretty much they have like uh, our entire playlist of of of, of uh, Cthulhu mythos as, as song titles. Yep. I'm I'm sure there is a band, a metal band called Sarnath. There's I'm, one I'm, called Sar Sarcom. Hang on, Sarcomon. Yeah, Ooh. of course. I know that. I know that. But I, I'm sure someone has a song that calls is called Sarnath in the metal genre, or is there some small band in South Dakota called Sarnath? There's probably several bands called Sarnath out there that just want someone to hear them. If your band is called Sarnath, just send us a link. We, <laughs> we want to hear it. Yes. We'll, we'll let people know. And if you're a doom metal band called Sarnath, send me a link. I, 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 I will, I will, I will tell people about you. All right. That was the doom that came to Sarnath, everyone. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks. Check out the show notes. Get a Glary. Um, moving on to the next part. Just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people. Subscribe to the podcast. Find us on Facebook. We're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed if you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason. 
You can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. Recording by Matt Bonehoff. The Doom That Came to Sarnath by H.P. Lovecraft. There is, in the land of Minar, a vast, still lake that is fed by no stream, and out of which no stream flows. Ten thousand years ago there stood by its shore the mighty city of Sarnath, but Sarnath stands there no more. It is told that in the immemorial years when the world was young before ever the men of Sarnath came to the land of Minar, another city stood beside the lake, the grey stone city of Ib, which was as old as the lake itself, and peopled by beings not pleasing to behold. Very odd and ugly were these beings, as indeed are most beings of a world yet inchoate and rudely fashioned. It is written on the brick cylinders of Cadatheron that the beings of Ib were in hue as green as the lake and the mists that rise above it, that they had bulging eyes, pouting, flabby lips, and curious ears, and were without voice. It is also written that they descended one night from the moon in a mist, they and the vast still lake and the grey stone city Ib. However this may be, it is certain that they worshipped a sea-green stone idol chiseled in the likeness of Bakrug, the great water lizard, before which they danced horribly when the moon was gibbous. And it is written in the papyrus of Ilarnek that one day they discovered fire, and thereafter kindled flames on many ceremonial occasions. But not much is written of these beings, because they lived in very ancient times, and man is young and knows but little of the very ancient living things. After many eons, men came to the land of Minar, dark shepherd folk with their fleecy flocks, who built Thra, Milarnek, and Kadatheron on the winding river Ai. And certain tribes, more hardy than the rest, pushed on to the border of the lake and built Sarnath at a spot where precious metals were found in the earth. Not far from the grey city of Ib did the wandering tribes lay the first stones of Sarnath, and at the beings of Ib they marveled greatly. But with their marveling was mixed hate, for they thought it not meet that beings of such aspect should walk about the world of men at dusk, nor did they like the strange sculptures upon the grey monoliths of Ib, for why those sculptures lingered so late in the world, even until the coming of men, none can tell, unless it is because the land of Minar is very still and remote from most other lands, both of waking and of dream. As the men of Sarnath beheld more of the beings of Ib, their hate grew, and it was not less because they found the beings weak and soft as jelly to the touch of stones and arrows. So one day the young warriors, the slingers and the spearmen and the bowmen, marched against Ib, and slew all the inhabitants thereof, pushing the queer bodies into the lake with long spears, because they did not wish to touch them. And because they did not like the grey sculpted monoliths of Ib, they cast these also into the lake, wondering from the greatness of the labor however the stones were brought from afar, as they must have been, 
since there is not like them in the land of Manar or the lands adjacent. Thus, of the very ancient city of Ib, nothing was spared, save the sea-green stone idol chiseled in the likeness of Bakrug, the water lizard. This the young warriors took back with them as a symbol of conquest over the old gods and beings of Th, and as a sign of leadership in Manar. But on the night after it was set up in the temple, a terrible thing must have happened, for weird lights were seen over the lake, and in the morning the people found the idol gone, and the high priest, Taran Ish, lying dead, as from some fear unspeakable. And before he died, Taran Ish had scrawled upon the altar of chrysolite, in coarse, shaky strokes, the sign of doom. After Taran Ish, there were many high priests in Sarnath, but never was the sea-green stone idol found, and many centuries came and went, wherein Sarnath prospered exceedingly, so that only priests and old women remembered what Taran Ish had scrawled upon the altar of chrysolite. Betwixt Sarnath and the city of Ilarnek arose a caravan route, and the precious metals from the earth were exchanged for other metals and rare cloths and jewels and books and tools for artificers, and all things of luxury that are known to the people who dwell along the winding river I and beyond. So Sarnath waxed mighty and learned and beautiful and sent forth conquering armies to subdue the neighboring cities. And in time there sat upon a throne in Sarnath the kings of all the land of Manar and of many lands adjacent. The wonder of the world and the pride of all mankind was Sarnath the Magnificent. A polished desert-quarried marble were its walls, in height three hundred cubits, and in breadth seventy-five, so that chariots might pass each other as men drove them along the top. For full five hundred stadia did they run, being open only on the side toward the lake, where a green stone seawall kept back the waves that rose oddly once a year at the festival of the destroying of Ib. In Sarnath were fifty streets from the lake to the gates of the caravans, and fifty more intersecting them, with onyx where they paved, save those whereupon the horses and camels and elephants trod, which were paved with granite. And the gates of Sarnath were as many as the landward ends of the streets, each of bronze and flanked by the figures of lions and elephants, carven from some stone no longer known among men. The houses of Sarnath were of glazed brick and chalcedony, each having its walled garden and crystal lakelet. With strange art were they builded, for no other city had houses like them, and travelers from Thra and Ilarnik and Kadatharon marveled at the shining domes wherewith they were surmounted. But more marvelous still were the palaces and the temples and the gardens made by Zokar the Olden King. There were many palaces, the last of which were mightier than any in Thra or Larnek or Kadatharon. So high were they that one within might sometimes fancy himself beneath only the sky. Yet, when lighted with torches dipped in the oil of Dothar, their walls showed vast paintings of kings and armies, of a splendor at once inspiring and stupefying to the beholder. Many were the pillars of the palaces, all of tinted marble, and carven into designs of surpassing beauty, 
and in most of the palaces the floors were mosaics of beryl and lapis lazuli and sardonyx and carbuncle and other choice materials so disposed that the beholder might fancy himself walking over beds of the rarest flowers and there were likewise fountains which cast scented waters about in pleasing jets arranged with cunning art outshining all others was the palace of the kings of Minar and of the lands adjacent on a pair of golden crouching lions rested the throne many steps above the gleaming floor and it was wrought of one piece of ivory though no man lives who knows whence so vast a piece could have come in that palace there were also many galleries and many amphitheaters where lions and men and elephants battled at the pleasure of the kings sometimes the amphitheaters were flooded with water conveyed from the lake in mighty aqueducts and then were enacted stirring sea fights or combats betwixt swimmers and deadly marine things lofty and amazing were the seventeen tower-like temples of sarnath fashioned of a bright multi-colored stone not known elsewhere a full thousand cubits high stood the greatest among them wherein the high priests dwelt with a magnificence scarce less than that of the kings on the ground were halls as vast and splendid as those of the palaces where gathered throngs in worship of zokalar and tamash and loban the chief gods of sarnath whose incense enveloped shrines were as the thrones of monarchs not like the icons of other gods were those of zokalar and tamash and loban for so close to life were they that one might swear the graceful bearded gods themselves sat on the ivory thrones and up unending steps of zircon was the tower chamber wherefrom the high priests looked out over the city and the plains and the lake by day and at the cryptic moon and significant stars and planets and their reflections in the lake at night here was done the very secret and ancient rite in detestation of bakrug the water lizard and here rested the altar of chrysolite which bore the doom scrawl of Turan ish wonderful likewise were the gardens made by zokar the olden king in the centre of sarnath they lay covering a great space and encircled by a high wall and they were surmounted by a mighty dome of glass through which shone the sun and moon and planets when it was clear and from which were hung fulgent images of the sun and moon and stars and planets when it was not clear in summer the gardens were cooled with fresh odorous breezes wafted by fans and in winter they were heated with concealed fires so that in those gardens it was always spring there ran little streams over bright pebbles dividing meads of green and gardens of many hues and spanned by a multitude of bridges many were the waterfalls in their courses and many were the hued lakelets into which they expanded over the streams and lakelets rode white swans whilst the music of rare birds chimed in with the melody of the waters in ordered terraces rose the green banks adorned here and there with bowers of vines and sweet blossoms and seats and benches of marble and porphyry and there were many small shrines and temples where one might rest or pray to small gods each year there was celebrated in sarnath the feast of the destroying of ib at which time wine song dancing and merriment of every kind abounded 
Great honors were laid to the shades of those who had annihilated the odd ancient beings, and the memory of those beings and of their elder gods was derided by dancers and lutenists crowned with roses from the gardens of Zokar. And the kings would look out over the lake and curse the bones of the dead that lay beneath it. At first, the high priests liked not these festivals, for there had descended among them queer tales of how the sea-green icon had vanished, and how Taran Ish had died from fear and left a warning. And they said that from their high tower they sometimes saw lights beneath the waters of the lake. But as many years passed without calamity, even the priests laughed and cursed and joined in the orgies of the feasters. Indeed, had they not themselves in their high tower often performed the very ancient and secret rite in detestation of Bakrug the water lizard? And a thousand years of riches and delight passed over Sarnath, wonder of the world. Gorgeous beyond thought was the feast of the thousandth year of the destroying of Ib, for a decade had it been talked of in the land of Minar, and as it drew nigh there came to Sarnath on horses and camels and elephants men from Thra, Ilarnek, and Kadatharon, and all the cities of Minar and the lands beyond. Before the marble walls on the appointed night were pitched the pavilions of princes and the tents of travelers. Within his banquet hall, Reclined Nargis High, the king, drunken with ancient wine from the vaults of conquered Panath, and surrounded by feasting nobles and hurrying slaves. There were eaten many strange delicacies at that feast, peacocks from the distant hills of Linplan, heels of camels from the Benazic desert, nuts and spices from Sindathrian groves, and pearls from wave-washed matal dissolved in the vinegar of Thra. Of sauces there were an untold number, prepared by the subtlest cooks in all Manar, and suited to the palate of every feaster. But most prized of all the viands were the great fishes from the lake, each of vast size, and served upon golden platters set with rubies and diamonds. Whilst the king and his nobles feasted within the palace, and viewed the crowning dish as it awaited them on golden platters, others feasted elsewhere. In the tower of the great temple the priests held revels, and in pavilions without the walls the princes of neighboring lands made merry. And it was the high priest Genai Ka who first saw the shadows that descended from the gibbous moon into the lake and the damnable green mists that arose from the lake to meet the moon, and to shroud in a sinister haze the towers and the domes of fated Sarnath. Thereafter, those in the towers and without the walls beheld strange lights on the water, and saw that the gray rock Akurion, which was wont to rear high above it near the shore, was almost submerged, and fear grew vaguely yet swiftly so that the princes of Alarnek and of far Rakol took down and folded their tents and pavilions and departed, though they scarce knew the reason for their departing. Then, close to the hour of midnight, all the bronze gates of Sarnath burst open and emptied forth a frenzied throng that blackened the plain, so that all the visiting princes and travelers fled away in fright. 
for on the faces of this throng was writ a madness born of horror unendurable, and on their tongues were words so terrible that no hearer paused for proof. Men whose eyes were wild with fear shrieked aloud of the sight within the king's banquet hall, where through the windows were seen no longer the forms of Nargis High and his nobles and slaves, but a horde of indescribable green voiceless things with bulging eyes, pouting flabby lips and curious ears, things which danced horribly, bearing in their paws golden plates set with rubies and diamonds and containing uncouth flames. And the princes and travelers, as they fled from the doomed city of Sarnath on horses and camels and elephants, looked back again upon the mist-beginning lake and saw the gray rock Kurion was quite submerged. Through all the land of Minar and the land adjacent spread the tales of those who had fled from Sarnath, and caravans sought that accursed city and its precious metals no more. It was long ere any travel went thither, and even then only the brave and adventurous young men of yellow hair and blue eyes, who were no kin to the men of Manar. These men indeed went to the lake to view Sarnath, but though they found the vast still lake itself, and the great rock Kurion which rears high above it near the shore, they beheld not the wonder of the world and the pride of all mankind. Where once had risen walls of three hundred cubits and towers yet higher, now stretched only the marshy shore. Where once had dwelt fifty million men, now crawled the detestable water lizard. Not even the mines of precious metal remained. Doom had come to Sarnath. But half buried in the rushes was spied a curious green idol, an exceedingly ancient idol, chiseled in the likeness of Bakrug, the great water lizard. That idol, enshrined in the high temple at Alarnek, was subsequently worshipped beneath the gibbous moon throughout the land of Manar. End of The Doom That Came to Sarnath Jesus wept. Sorry, I'm like trying to like make sure my voice can do more than uh um hey everyone it's me db one of my buddies jc who does from d2f not not to be confused with d2f which is something else but my buddy jc uh d2f on instagram he recently 3d printed a penhead which is Doug Bradley's face with places to put all of your pens in. What? Ah. Yeah. And he's got a thing on Etsy. You can get uh, links on from D2F on Instagram. Uh, he uses an any cubic 3D printer, uh, resin printer, to get that done, uh, there's a special going on right now to get one of their smallest resin printers for about $189. Check the show notes. Get that going on for yourself. Movies, 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 movies with DB, Dave, and Gretchen. Hey, everyone. We are talking about movies right now. 
Today we're talking about the 1987 Clive Barker classic, Hellraiser. What do we have to say about it? all apart. So, so I'm going to say that, you know, my friends saw this in 1987, and I did not. And they kind of misdescribed it to me. (laughs) Basically, there was this possessed Rubik's Cube. And if you did it wrong, you go to hell. And if you did it right, you have all these pleasures. And to me, that was the scariest concept out there. Because I am uncoordinated. I have no 3D spatial. I can't do a Rubik's Cube. And my thought is that if something, like a puzzle, and I did it wrong, and especially if it was timed, I went to hell, Mm -hmm. that was the worst thing that possible. Not based on your morality, your conduct, your behavior, your karma. It was that you were going to go to hell. I was going to go to hell because I couldn't do a Rubik's Cube. That scared me. Oh, man. I'd, I'd, I'd love to mix that combination of concept with, like, Saw somehow. That would be an amazing hmm. RPG setting. <laughs> I was, like, 11 when it came out, so I didn't really get to see it until I was probably in my teens. I probably rented it on VHS or something like that or, or whatnot from, like, Blockbuster. But... I didn't realize how horny it was. Like, I don't think I got it. Like, like, I don't think it quite clicked for me. Not, not like young, innocent me (laughs) did not get that part of the story. Like I thought it was like monsters and they were very, like he was, Pinhead was really eloquent. Yeah. And (laughs) yeah, no, no. I I remember thinking as like a kid watching it on like HBO or Showtime being like, Oh, she's just like, like tricking these guys somehow to like feed them to this monster, not totally. realizing stuff. I didn't realize for- the sins of the flesh stuff. Like that was that totally like oh, was yeah. up in my head at that age. Totally lost on me as a kid watching <laughs> it on like paid cable at a friend's house. The other day, and I'm like, what? Oh my god, I've forgotten how like horny it is, and like how um. The, the how influenced by like the bondage um, leather bars that like um, life Clive Barker would go to in New York. Yeah. Oh, bye bye. <laughs> Just saying. No, definitely. Definitely. It's like it, it took other things referencing Hellraiser for me to go. Oh, oh. this is all like. <laughs> leather bondage pain and pleasure stuff i just thought it was like xenobites it's just like the xenobites scene and it's like no this is referencing something dude they had the lament configuration uh, and things like that yeah i'm like it's about puzzle boxes and like creatures from a plane that exists between heaven and hell it's like come on what what don't you get and it's like, no, no, dude, it's about this. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's like the 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 main the main creep in this is a hedonist. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Frank Cotton is more than just a hedonist, he's a cultist. And yeah. it's it's yeah. That's what I th- agree. I feel like it has there are so many avenues it could have gone down. Like at the very beginning when like he's in the marketplace and he's all, What's your pleasure, sir? Yeah. And he finds the 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 box and 
He's told that it's going to bring him unknown pleasures, but like back then I'm like, yay, ice cream, woo! Yeah. <laughs> Cupcakes every day! Yeah, all the miniatures and Dungeons you know, and Dragons. Yeah. I didn't really imagine, like, I didn't, I guess I just didn't think about it, and then, of course, I read later, like, that Clive Barker loves, like, loves the Marquis de Sade. We're not loved, but he was influenced by a Marquis yeah, de Sade. Sure. Nobody loves the Marquis de Sade. Well, who, I know, mean, some people might. Not to, you know, yeah. yuck anybody's yum, but, you know. Yeah. And, no, I, I definitely, and there is this writing style mm-hmm. where evil is sexy. Yes. And forbidden is that's why people like vampires, you know. Correct. Vampires represent forbidden love. And or people like werewolves, because werewolves represent a forbidden love. I mean I mean what's more forbidden than a demon that doesn't have um like any gender and that they're like monstrous and <laughs> yeah. I mean I love like that was the I agree with you, David, because that's like the attraction is that his he's so eloquent and he's so um, he's almost like caring. Yeah, and and the way he talks to Kirsty or Christy is her name Kirsty? Kirsty. Yeah, yeah, Christy. Or Kirsty. It's it's English version. You guys hear but, my cat? I'm sorry, he's all like up in my face purring. Oh, <laughs> that's all cool. Yeah. And there's also this, and they don't call they don't call him Pinhead. I guess no. the the crew called him Pinhead, but mm-hmm. he's not referred to. It's I think the lead Cenobite in in the credits. Mm-hmm. He has this too cool for school attitude. Oh yeah, and and that's what I guess you know, you know he uh, Clyde Barker kept telling you know Doug Bradley less less. You know, and if they had done it as this traditional demon, I I don't think the movie would have made it. No, yeah, that's something that I loved about Pinhead. Seeing it in like, I want to say, eighty nine was just like Pinhead was like, I am this thing, and um, I just have to shout out right now. This is based off of Clive Barker's The Hellbound Heart. If someone's yes. like, you haven't said that yet, we're saying mm-hmm. it now. Yes. But oh. I know for a fact that I watch Pinhead and a bunch of kids in the hall and like Nine Inch Nails videos all in one weekend. And it was <laughs> life changing. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, like, I think what year did that, what year did Hellraiser 3 come out? Oh, oh, shoot. Um, I want to say 90-something. <laughs> 92. Okay, so that was why I feel like I didn't really get, I mean, I kind of was a late start to that because in 1992 mm-hmm. is when I really, like, I saw Hellraiser 3 on the big screen. And I'd yeah. seen Hellraiser 1 and 2 on VHS before, but again, like, I did not get it. But then in 1992, I saw Hellraiser, Hell on Earth. Yeah. That one, was, that one rocked my socks because, of like, all the music was, it was, like, right for my age. 
Yeah, I, I remember being able to convince a bunch of friends to go see Hellraiser 4 because of Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3 collectively appealed to my group of friends. And like one friend when watching Hellraiser 3 is like, I like this music. It reminds me of Doom. <laughs> mm. And I'm like, no, you just have only ever heard Doom and Hellraiser yeah. for like metal music or close to metal music or electronic music or yeah, anything. I think there was like some industrial bands that were on that soundtrack that I was into. Yeah, yeah, but it's like the only exposure. Oh no, no, it wasn't Doom. It was Quake, and it was Quake. like my 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 friend's only exposure to industrial music was Quake whose music was done by Trent Reznor and then Hellraiser 3 that had some industrial music in it. And he's like, this is an amazing movie. And another friend is like, yeah, it reminds me of Mortal Kombat. But, or... Rude. To... Well, my, my, my friends were very unexposed to industrial music, metal, and a bunch of other stuff. So, so you, you, you had to bring him in to show him. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's just Hellraiser's awesome. And yeah. I wanted other people to come with me to see the movie because I didn't want to go by myself. So it was just like kind of like we watched a bunch of Hellraiser one weekend and then also played a bunch of Quake because we, uh, someone had a T1, uh, we have the ability to link a bunch of computers together to play Doom and Quake. And we used to do it every weekend, uh, LAN parties. And mm. um, we also played D&D and watch horror movies together. And I started bringing in Hellraiser movies one weekend. And then I brought in Hellraiser 1. And then everyone's like, we need to watch Hellraiser 2 and 3. And I'm like, we're in luck. Hellraiser 4 is coming out this weekend. So we power watched that, but also played a ton of Doom and Quake. I never played those games. <sighs> I'm not very skilled at playing video games, to be honest. I'm one of those no, people no, that were no. like, I played, um, what is it, some of the Skyrim stuff and basically could not leave my house in Whiterun or could not go upstairs because I couldn't look up and then walk upstairs. <laughs> That's fine. That's yeah. fine. You, oh, you I'm dumb. Both. Yeah, I, I make I make people walk into walls. Yeah, see, I'm with you, David. I'm like, I'm totally uncoordinated, like hand-eye coordinated for video games. I like to watch people play them, but that's me. Oh, totally, totally. I wish there was a Hellraiser game, and as far as I can find, there is not a Hellraiser game. No, but there's a ton of comics. A ton. Yes. There's yeah, no, Tales there's... from Hellraiser. There's um, Hellraiser. I mean, I, I've read, I have a bunch of the Hellraiser itself comics. Mm -hmm. But gosh, I can't even remember, but I know that they're like, there are they, I don't even know they're still going. There's nine sequels to the original Hellraiser. Oh no, I mean the com is the comic still going? Oh, I'm sure someone's I, got a license to Hellraiser and is keeping it going in some way or another. Oh yeah, and, and I have to admit I haven't seen them, but one of the things that makes the movie I think is the fact that it has practical effects. Yes. So that said. <laughs> you can go up beyond that in a comic book, and and you don't have to you don't have the fake 
you know, CGI looks. You can go farther than the practical effects could in a comic book. Definitely. True story. Definitely. I mean, speaking of the practical effects about this movie, though, so good. I mean, yeah. that like rebuild from when uh, Frank's body is um, comes from like mush and then turns into like this kind of half globulous, fleshy, monstrous, but also like slightly human looking. Ugh, it's awesome. It yeah. Grows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah, when he puts no. his arms out and it's like the the skeletal arms and he's pushing himself out of the ground. I always thought that was pretty terrifying. Yeah, just from a little bit of blood drips. Yeah. It, it's so cool. It's so cool how they do this. It's like, it's it's one of those things that's like makes me love old, old horror films from the 80s when it was still practical. It was like kind of like... The la- it was like the peak of practical effects. I mean, and some things don't still hold up. I mean, like the, all the compositing, um, like light lines that are on everything, where like the electricity lines, that doesn't look as good as it used to. But you know, whatevs. I mean, yeah, I'm not, no. I'm not, you know, what are they called? I'm not picking it apart. I get all. it. I, I get but what's happening. I do have to say that Leviathan monster though, with the like the squid scorpion tail that like is. Has the like T Rex arms? Eh, yeah, look as good these days. No, yeah. it's it's a little corny looking, but I was like, know. what is that thing? I don't remember that centibite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I did look it up. So the last comic book uh, released uh, on Hellraiser was by Boom Studio mm-hmm. in 2015, and then they did the the trade paperbacks in 2017. All right. So, so it, I think the ones I have are before that were not boom. They were Marvel. Uh, Epic, probably. Epic, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's like eight of them or something. I can't remember. Um, just you probably I did some. I well, I did some checking. I don't. But apparently, the original Hellraiser Epic uh, ran twenty issues. Okay, I've got. A, I think I'll have to have you look at them and see what you think. Cool. Yeah, no. Comic books are awesome. Movie comic books are awesome. Mm-hmm. Comic books that expand past the movies are always awesome. But yeah, no. A Hellraiser comic sounds amazing. And, and I have to admit, I haven't read any of the comics, and I haven't seen any of the other movies besides the first one. Mm-hmm. So oh. this is a legitimate question for you. What the heck is going on with that dragon skeleton thing that it just to me, it seems like it comes out of nowhere. I like Which, it. The dragon skeleton. The, the, the guy that eats the bugs. And then yeah. Oh, out. yeah. I mean, I think he was somebody that was affected by um, the power of the lament configuration because she was kind of like, she was actively like between the worlds. Okay. Yeah. That's what I kind of grabbed and gathered from it. Like where he grabs the guy who grabs a bunch of crickets, starts eating them. That guy. Yeah, my my understanding is that you know Barker wait, or de- developed that idea like halfway through, and he said, "Oh yeah, we're gonna do this." And, and like the, the 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 crew and the special effects people looked at each other and says, "We've only got like so many more days of shooting." But I mean, I like it. I like the form, but it, yeah, it, I never quite understood that. Anytime I see anything like that, I think to myself, well, someone had something and they needed to fill time. 
Well, I mean, like I said, I think it's like because she has opened the box, has messed with the configuration a little bit yeah. at this point. And I think that maybe there's like her sanity is bleeding or like she's basically failed her sanity check role. Okay. Because I, in the second movie, she's in the sanitarium. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I like Gretchen and my answers both a lot. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I like Gretchen's answer for in-world, and I like my answer for, like, actuality of, like, okay. I don't know. Let's put this <laughs> in. It At this point, it doesn't matter. She's crazy. Right. <laughs> so I, I did kind of go on to the Google machine. Uh-huh. Yeah. And apparently there is not, and I don't know how this tied, because I haven't read the article yet, there's not a Hellraiser video game, but Super 3D Noah, Noah's Ark for the Nintendo or the MS-DOS mm-hmm. was originally started out as a uh, Hellraiser game and then became a Noah's Ark Christian game. Whoa. And that is probably a story and a half. No kidding. That sounds crazy because I, I was sure that there would be some sort of like Hellraiser game for like the Zed Spectrum or something or like some British game for Hellraiser in like 89. I think they should bring him into Mortal 80s. Kombat. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Or, or a character that appears in something else. But that's yeah. No, I'm 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 shocked that Clive <laughs> Barker hasn't tried to make money with video games. Well, I saw that there was like some trivia question about the about um about Hellraiser and that there originally there was going to be a Hellraiser versus Jason. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I don't know how that would work. There's not much about it other than that there was like, it was just all in concept that just to kind of open up the franchise. Yeah. I I could see how like Freddy versus versus Well, that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But can you imagine like the Cenobites versus um Hellraiser or Cenobites versus um Jason? Yeah. I I can. It'd be like I don't know, Cenobites show up and then Jason runs at him with a machete. Well they show up in random things. I mean, they're on Rick and Morty. Yes, yes. That yes. was pretty funny. That was awesome. That was a, a very nice surprise. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, no. Um, there was like some Cinebite type stuff in uh, Venture Brothers. They, they show up in a lot of kind of like adult animation, uh, pinhead type jokes. But yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's fun. I, I would definitely say that they are a cultural icon. Absolutely. And so even a lot of people who do not have not watched any of the movies are aware of what they are at least what title they're with yeah there there is a particular uh female cenobite who has her throat opened up and she's bald that i uh like to label billy corgan online a lot Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Billy Corgan of the pump uh Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins, yes. I 
I, I, I will uh, label her image on Facebook at Billy Gorgon. Anytime it pops up. Just, just, I don't know. I don't know why I still do it, but it's something I've done since the early 2000s. Her name is Female Cinnabite. <laughs> I know it's Female C- Cinnabite, Ooh. but I think her name should be Billy, Billy. Gorgon. Okay. <laughs> I like the uh, um. I always liked the way um, Chatterer looked. Oh yeah, that really like pulled wire, like teeth, gums, exposure, like his. I sometimes I think some of the comics, if I remember properly, kind of explore how the Cenobites came about, like which mm-hmm. Cenobite was what, and like mm-hmm. what their sin was, or their pleasure, or their desire. Because, I mean, I don't know, like, there's a third movie where, <laughs> I know everybody hates the third movie, but I kind of have a special place in my heart for it. I love it. But Oh, yeah. And I know it's cheesy, but I kind of like the idea that people's jobs or things that they're into become, they become the Cinnabite of, like, the cameraman is cameraman Cinnabite with a camera <laughs> eyeball, and then CD disc jockey guy is a CD throwing Cinnabite, and the bartender guy, he, like, Shakes makes Molotov cocktails and blows fire. And then yeah, the smoking no. friend, she smokes a lot of cigarettes and burns them on people. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I do kind of like this sort of maybe commentary on Western civilization and capitalism mm-hmm. that, you know, your, your job becomes your hell. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But yeah, I I think that we pretty much covered the the Hellraiser. Definitely. I mean, without having going into further things like the about the lament configuration and whatnot, it's, I mean, I could say those also have a Lovecraftian origins in its own right. Oh yeah. No, no, If you no, think it's... about it just because of the whole, I mean, not that Lovecraft was horny. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I not like really. not think, but he doesn't seem so, but I think that the idea of another plane of existence that can be reached through a threshold is very Lovecraftian in ways. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, it's it's kind of like it's not heaven. It's it's not good. It's bad. It's it's pleasure. Yeah. And that's not very Lovecraftian. But also at the same time, it's kind of like taking this concept of like it's another dimension that you don't understand that exists, and that you have to open things. a key to. Like yeah. you have to make a willing. You're the willing sacrifice. I, I would say that it would probably be Lovecraft's version of hell. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, ew, people are touching me. <laughs> it's all squiggly. Yep, yep. That's been fun. It's been a lot of fun talking about Hellraiser and the doom that came to Sarnas. Thank you both so much for, uh, yeah, being a part of this. Yeah. And thank you, listeners, for being a part of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can find us every week here 
at pgttcm.com, pgttcm on Facebook and on Twitter, uh, pgttcm.com spelled out on Instagram. And yeah, what else? Uh, what else do we got going on? Anything mm. fun lately? I'm just watching films for the um, Portland Horror Film Festival. Still making my dent, small dent in my um, watch list. All right. Had any anything that uh, you need brain bleach for lately? Um, there's a real. There was a really good one, a feature called Black Mold, and that one didn't really mm. need any. I mean, I felt like I needed to watch something wholesome afterwards and yeah. after, because it was uh, so spooky. But like, yeah, mostly um, my um, my palate cleanser are K-dramas. <laughs> OK, cool, cool. So so I binged over the weekend way better than it should be, way funnier than it should be on Netflix. Agent Elvis. Oh, All right. Oh my and, gosh, and, Matthew McConaughey as Elvis is so yeah. good. And, and, and sort of a between Elvis between Batman and James Bond. Yes, Whoa. he's awesome. It, I love um, that Priscilla Presley is actually like this is her one of her projects. Like she's yeah. a co-producer and she does a voice in it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean Matthew that's... McConaughey, he's got that whole you know talking like <laughs> there's a whole yeah. lot of criminals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I personally have been spending a lot of time uh, watching The Mandalorian and looking up uh, Star Wars memes on YouTube. And um, the other thing I've really been into lately is this concept of the Bronze Age Collapse shitposting. Which is a lot of about like making fun of people for selling inferior copper in um, ancient Sumerian. It's, okay. It's. I'm sorry. It's. I I think it's hilarious, but it's also like kind of hard to explain. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, what did y'all do for Easter? Did you have baby goats play with them and things like that? So just because of family wise, we're actually going to have Easter next week. Oh, right on. Now I am reading a book that I'm actually pretty caught up with. It's uh, Amanda Montel's Cultish. Yeah. It's a linguist study into the words that cults, religious, business political use and it's just a fascinating story oh it sounds really cool it's it's cultish i thought maybe like cult like but it's like english or spanish but it's cult it's the language used by by cults and it's fascinating oh wow cool let's see what book am i reading right now kind of messing around like i've been reading mostly junji ito stuff because they're i just got that new black paradox oh okay cool yeah. Nice. Very fun. I haven't been reading a lot, but I've been eating a lot. I've been making a lot of kind of like pickled brassica type stuff, like mm. taking bits of um, broccoli and salt curing it and oh. making sauerkraut mm. and kimchi just because 
that's what I do for fun. I love I'm not reading or listening to stuff. I, I, I like to cure meats and I like to cure cabbage type stuff, but broccoli and that kind of fun things. But yeah, brassica fermentation, always fun. Cool. Like I, I would like to say, if Dave's a shepherd, I'm like whatever you call someone who makes stuff out of cabbage for fun. <laughs> <laughs> a cabbage. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, do we have anything else to chat about, talk about this week? I yeah. think that that's it for this week. All right. Then we're well, going to watch Silent Hill next week. Yeah. Silent Hill and, and what else are we talking about? I don't know if I have it popped up uh, for you to check out. I'm only asking because I honestly don't know. Oh, <laughs> Silent Hill and uh, Satampra Zeros, the greatest thief of the Hyborian Age. Okay. I don't know actually anything about that, so I will be reading this week about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. Uh, I highly recommend uh, check out any any websites that have uh, Clark Ashton Smith. There's uh, Dave, do you remember the name of the uh, Clark Ashton wi- uh, Smith website that has everything on it? No, but we will be having links in it next week. Definitely we will. All right, everyone. Join us next week when we talk about Silent Hill, the original film, and Setampra Zeros, and how he lost his hand, and something about uh, a bunch of veils. Yes. Word. <laughs> <laughs>